Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Um, hey, y'all. Hi. What? Woo! So excited about that. Yes, let's say that, and let's say that more often. Um, as Justin said, to get my attention, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time in person, my name is Baranda Fermin. I am um, serving currently here as um, the official title is interim pastor and interim executive director. Um, but really, <laughs> it's exciting work, y'all. It's the best job I've ever had. I love coming to work every day. Um, but really, we've entered a new phase. And I'm kind of, I mean, that's my title, but I'm serving as uh, all on-the-clock curator of uh, the life and the blossoming and the thriving um, ideas and art being sold that's happening um, in the community right now. We're in a very different place than we were um, when I um, first came up here in June as your interim pastor and executive director. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to give you a sermon. Um, so if you need a Bible, if you don't have, don't use your device um, or you don't have that app or anything um, on your Bible, you can uh, raise your hand or let us know. There's some Bibles in the back. Um, for those of you that um, will be in your Bibles, we'll visit this again if you don't quite have one. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians 5. Just hold it there. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 will be there the whole time. I won't read it until later, but that's where we'll be at. Um, and so, but where, that's where we'll be at in the text, where we are in the life of the church is um, on the horizon of something amazing that God is getting ready to do. So if you've been with us, if you were live streaming, if you were in person, if you've journeyed with us to this point, we started way over there where it says healing. And between pandemic years, between community transitions, between deep alum transitions, between any number of things, it was a shock to the system. How many of you will admit that the past 26 months, yeah, 26, because time keeps moving, 26 months have been a shock to your system, right? Right. Our, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, like that has to be honored. We got to stop and take stock of that, take stock of the fact that we made it, take stock of the fact that we're strong enough to withstand those kinds of things. Like not just that something bad happened, but that we stood in it. We sat in it. We stood together in it. How many of y'all have been through some crappy stuff and you didn't have anybody with you? And this time that wasn't our story, right? That's not our story this time. So we had to, we had to honor that. We had to acknowledge that. We had to do some work um, to, to figure out what that meant for us and what we needed um, God to do and to partner with us to do about that. And then we moved. That was a lot. How many people felt we stayed there too long? Some people told me that. They were like, when are we done with this part? And then we were done with that part. And then we were in the history part. We were in the part where we told our stories and we told our stories to each other, not just in our heads. We didn't just keep them in our heart. We didn't just write them in our journals, but we told them to each other in different ways, in different formats, in meetings, in songs, in poetry. We had some dancing going on in here, not just me. We had some running going on in here. It was also not just me. Towns joined me in that. We, we, we did those things in community so that they could be witnessed right? And 
And though we may all be together and we may be happy to go through the hard times and the good times together, we, we experience them from different perspectives. And so hearing someone say that this is what they experienced while this is what you were experiencing, it's like, whoa, that's different. And we know it's not a lie. And so figuring out how to honor different perspectives, how to honor different stories when we were in the same room at the same time, experiencing the same thing, or so we thought, and learning what God wants to do with those stories. And the fact that the biggest story of all is God's story. We, still, we spent a little time there. Also, some people felt we felt too long there. They were ready to keep going. Why are we talking about the past? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And that's where we are. But guess what? This might be the scariest part. <laughs> because now we're at the horizon. Do you want to know um, what family therapists and child therapists say um, one of the most tragic and biggest indicators of trauma is in children? When they don't imagine, when they don't pretend to play. And so though they may not go in and say, like, what happened to you and who did it, because kids don't really operate like that. If you take a child to play therapy and... They don't want to pretend that the doll does something or that the truck makes the sound. It's usually not a good sign. And so we're past what the truth is, what your truth is, what my truth is, what God's truth is. We've integrated that and we are now at the point of the horizon, the point where God invites us to dream. This is where those of you who are ready to get out of the healing arc and we're like, yay, I'm so glad we're in the next one. And we're, those of you who are like, when are we going to stop talking about the past? Let's move on. And I kept saying, slow down, or now we're here. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Because here's the other thing, and why Abby's prayer was so necessary. Anybody know what the horizon does? Anybody? Do you ever actually get to it? It just keeps <laughs> moving. But it is exciting. And the idea that it wouldn't be trauma and sadness that we need endurance for. Because according to scripture, weeping only endures for a night. But it is the excitement and the ability to dream and to live into a dream every day that would take more endurance than anything. <sighs> Whoops. But we were so ready to get here. What does this all mean? I'm glad you asked. What it means is that we're in a new series. No more character studies. How many of y'all are happy? series called Growing Up Jesus because we are in this weird time in the Christian canon, in the Christian liturgy, in our lives, but it mirrors. And so we celebrated Epiphany last week. Epiphany is a twin celebration of the Magi's recognizing that Jesus had been born and making the journey to give gifts. And it also encompasses the idea of when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus at what many believe in Christian canon to be about 30 years old. 
which is officially when Jesus's ministry began. And so with these twin celebrations, there is this liturgical time between the nativity and the bookend event of Epiphany, which is Jesus's baptism, the beginning of Jesus's ministry life. So what was going on in that like little weird period? There are some texts and illustrations and some stories from Gnostic legends um, dealing with infancy stories. And these books are often rejected by most Protestant traditions that adhere to the Apostles' Creed. As a matter of fact, some of those stories were the very reason why there was the convention from which three years later, yeah, it took three years of meetings, imagine that, um, to come up with the Apostles' Creed. They were trying to figure out how do we protect our community from these rumors. What's like all these rumors telling me every day? They were tired of it. They were tired of it. I'll tell you. And so, um, of these legends, one of them claims that Jesus and his mother met in younger years the two thieves that Jesus would eventually be crucified and hung next to. We don't like that story. Another story says that a woman's son was healed being sprinkled by the water that Jesus' mother and attendants threw out over a balcony after he had bathed in. We don't like that story either. Um, other stories claim that Jesus changed people into animals and uh, killed them. Um, and that um, when he was a little boy, that he raised a bird from the dead. So he was just practicing his powers, sort of Harry Potter-ish. We don't like those either. Um, <laughs> And so the Protestant church has rejected much of these non-canonical stories. Um, Gnostic legends are what they're called if you ever want to do any research on that. Um, and so that's why this like period between the two bookends of the Epiphany, um, we don't often spend a lot of time there. Um, and we just want to go straight to Jesus' ministry. Right? So straight to John the Baptist baptizes him. He's about 30 years old. Um, you know, and then we find him in Luke, Mark, and Matthew. And he's like healing people. And, um, you know, he like turns water into wine. And, you know, heaven's opened. And all these things happen. And, you know, he feeds. Well, the first thing that happens, he feeds 5,000 people. We just want to go straight there. Okay, we'll get there in about three weeks um, with our progressive dinner series, but we're not there yet. <laughs> but how many of you are ready for a miracle? There are no miracles. <laughs> There's none. He doesn't do his first miracle until about three years after he's baptized, when he feeds the 5,000. So we're not there yet. No, we're not going to talk about any miracles in this series. Sorry, we're not there. Um, so if... If we're not there, like, did you not, were you not with us when we sang the song, like, and the weary world rejoices, right? We are weary. We are the world. We would like to rejoice. What are we rejoicing in if there are no miracles? Right. And we're kind of still weary. How many of you alongside me, I don't watch the news, but I was watching the news this past weekend, counting down and praying for our siblings in Colleyville, right? We're obviously still a weary world. Um, and so 
this little Jewish baby is born. And there's no miracles yet. So what are we doing exactly? What's, what's happening before ministry? Here's the hard parallel. What's happening before we have a pastor? <laughs> so a lot of people like to go and like, oh, you know, just like, you know, just mundane stuff, just regular stuff. He was just living in Nazareth with Mother Mary and earning a living as a carpenter, the profession that his father had trained him in, and, you know, and the tradition that, you know, he was brought up in. He was just doing regular life. Okay, um, yeah, that's great. Um, he was a boy before he could, like, do carpenter stuff. So, like, what about, what about, what about before that part, that part? Um, and then also, like, I don't know about you, um, but yeah, as much as like uh, holidays are hard and like vacations and like road trips and like you pack up things and you got to get snacks and you got to think about all the things and you know, did I stop the mail and are the newspapers going to pile up? You know, like it's actually the sheer force of everyday life that tries to take me out. It's the mundane stuff that tries to take me out. It's the, I did everything I was supposed to do this weekend and I meal prepped and then I dropped the kid off at carpool and I am five minutes away from work and I realize my lunch is on the counter. Not even in the fridge where it might still be good when I get home, but it is on the counter. That's been enough to take me out. Some days, like, yeah. Because usually when that happens, it's also when soccer fees or a birthday or Christmas just passed or something. And so I literally have enough gas and enough money. So like going back to get my lunch really isn't the issue and buying lunch really isn't the issue. And so, and I just got through buying some odd number of dollars of groceries to meal prep. And so now, like now the whole thing is off. So sometimes it's actually not the big things that will take us out. Sometimes it's, that regular stuff. So this dismissal of like, oh, here's just living in Nazareth with his mom and building stuff as a girl. Like, eh, that's not enough for me. I don't know who else is, is more curious than that. Anybody? Okay. That's never been enough for me. And so then what do we know then? What do we know about that time when Jesus was a boy? We know that Jesus and his parents, according to some people's opinion, lived in a dirty little town on the side of a mountain called Nazareth in the province of Galilee. See, he had been born in Bethlehem in this place with lights and synagogues and temples and bright shining stars over it. But be and he was there because of the Roman census. But after the census and because he was being hunted along with all of his cousins and with, along with all of the other Jewish little boys and girls at that time, because they, you know, you don't know what the Messiah was going to be. And so though he grew up to work with Joseph and then after Joseph passed in Joseph's industry as a carpenter and though he, he grew up as a boy living in an area in a community of Samaritan Jews who were Orthodox Jews in southern Israel and hated. 
because many Samaritans had intermarried to other races. And according to much of Jewish law and Jewish opinion at the time had corrupted themselves by being with the people they were among. What we do know, according to scripture, is that the person of the word having descended from heaven rested in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and her willingness to conceive him in Nazareth and following the awareness of the danger developing against him, his mother and his earthly father, Joseph, fled everything they knew in Egypt and returned to the mountains of Galilee in Palestine. And during this time, they were just a family in Jewish community living on the wrong side of the tracks. So the best answer to what was Jesus doing and where was Jesus is that he was in the same place we all are after we're born. After we're born, before our parents really know what we're going to be, and they only have the hopes that we will grow into the traditions that they know and love, he was at home. See, an infant born Catholic or Baptist or Jewish or Muslim to their parents on the day when they are born, the way it usually works, even to this day, is that they, you go home with who you came out of. You don't, like, sit in the hospital and they're like, hey, anybody want a baby? Like, these people are tired. They need about six weeks to rest. Anybody want to take a, it's not how it goes. You go, in the words of Happy Gilmore, to your home. And this happens to everyone everywhere. They are given some community, whether they are given up for adoption, whether they are dropped off at a firehouse, where they are left at the hospital, whether someone takes them from the hospital to whom they don't belong. Babies go into community. So Jesus was a boy growing up in community. Maybe a community some like, somewhat like this, now that we know more about the hillside in Galilee that he grew up in. Maybe Nazareth and their synagogue community look more like life in Deep Ellum and its mishmash and hodgepodge of beliefs and misfits than anyone ever told us growing up at church camp. But if that's the case, then what is our part in the Messiah's work in earth? If Jesus, if the dude who keeps Lee and me in wine, that water and wine thing, yeah, no matter how bad it gets, I can find wine. <laughs> Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, the one we call on when we stub our toe and when our car flips over three times in the air. Jesus, the one we sing about. Jesus, the one we whisper to. If that guy that hung and bled and died for us grew up in community just like us, 
how did he get there and what's our part? How will we prepare the way for a miracle? Because it's not time yet. Will you protect like Joseph and the wise men? Will you provide? Will you keep, will you conspire against authority the way that the wise men did and the midwives? Will you surrender your plans and your privileges the way that Joseph did? Will you sit in silence with your gifts and wait for God to give you a good use of your voice like Zechariah? Will you hide and consecrate like John the Baptist? Will you be disrupted in your sleep like all of them? Why did the angels not come at lunch? Will you trust and believe the women around you? The Ruths, the Naomi's, the Elizabeth's, the Mary's? Will you humble yourself, surrender your rules and your privileges and protect the new things that God is trying to do in the earth like Boaz and Joseph? And the wise men who defied Herod? The thing is to be ready for a miracle actually looks like work and sacrifice and commitment to community. We find that framework in 1 Thessalonians. I told you we'd get there. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians and let's read that. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and of course, now it's not pulling up. Yes, I do love the Bible app. No, I do not want to do it right. I don't want to tell you how much I love it right now. That's exactly what was going on. That's why I could not get to the scripture. It says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you siblings are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be wake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, not as in fact you build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you siblings to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. 
but test them. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the peace of God, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The one who calls you is faithful and will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So the framework for getting ready for a miracle, if you are ready for a miracle, is to be with one another and take good care of each other. Because we don't know how long into the miracle that we were praying for. We don't know when we will feel like we've reached our point in the horizon. We don't know. As Jesus was growing up, before he was baptized, before his ministry, before he proved his worth in the position he was called to as Messiah in this earth, before the revelation, the miracles are known as the revelation of Christ. Before that happened, he was in community and he prayed. And they prayed with him and for him. It's called discernment in churchy language. And so that is our charge. If you're ready for a miracle, discern what you need and discern what you have to give together.